You are, you are now tuning in to Reform Raza. Our aim is to glorify God through the edification of the saints. Expect practical theology and a draw to be biblical. So if you ask us who we do this for, because this is for the last. This is Reformed Raza. My name is Martin Velasquez alongside with my brothers. This is Justin Corona. And what up, everybody? This this brother Vic. <laughs> no. I was about to say Pastor Vic, You're but not I, a pastor I, I, anymore? I can't do it. No, no, Dang, no. Bro. If you listen to our last episode, no, I'm not a pastor Dang, anymore. Bro, it's got you. But anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in once again for um, Reformed Raza. Go ahead and hit us up at reformrasa.com, reformrasa at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or rebukes. You can hit us up right there. Um, go ahead and follow us on Instagram. Go ahead and like us on Facebook. We're on there, so go ahead and give us a follow and a like. Go ahead and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review if you would do so. That would be much appreciated. Muchas gracias. So today, 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 today is a day. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good episode. But first, man, I just want to say that, man, the responses from our last episode was super, super, super dope, man. Like, hey, I got to say it. I got a praise report. Y'all know what's it about, man. If you guys been following us on Instagram and on Facebook, we know that we made some connections, man. Um, a dude reached out to us from Arizona, you know, told us the situation and we were able to connect them with uh, another guy from Arizona who who uh, uh, took them under his wing and now they're fellowshipping man so I mean if you saw our Instagram you know what, what, what went down so I just want to give a shout out man to Victor and Marcus man y'all the real MVPs man this is Reform Raza where real connections are made. It's a small world, man. It is a small world. Not only that, but we got an email a couple months back, a few months back, about another sister who was having some, um, uh, who had a question. She emailed us and she ended up going to that same church, Redeemer Bible Church in Arizona. And now that other brother, Marcus, now they're all together. All three of them <laughs> under the same. So shout out to Stephanie as well, man. Man, that's crazy. It's crazy how our experiences, although we, we go through them, we don't we don't think about um, how God is using it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to us, you know, getting getting the boot from our church is like oh it hurt. You know what I mean? We're going through some things, but God is being glorified, man. Like that is amazing. Can I give another shout out to all of those who reached out to us and said praying for you? Sorry this happened to you. Thank you for your love and support for all those who reached out to us. <laughs> You know who you are. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the love. That's so. just cool that uh, that uh, we were used in that way. That that now you know they these three people um, are gathering under the same building, under the same church, and we were a part of that. The the common thread between yeah. the three to be able to 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 get together in that way. Hey, God could have done it without us, but. Yeah. Praise the Lord that he used us to, to do that. So and he used a filthy wretch like you. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you are too. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today, man. Okay. So I want to emphasize the importance of why we're doing this, because you may be thinking to yourself, hey, man, these battles are getting a little too hyped up on this whole Calvinism thing, man. Like, come on, man. Is it really that important? I would say yes, it is. It really is because if you see the state of the church how it is today, not only in American, you know, white evangelical churches, but especially in the Hispanic urban communities, in the neighborhoods, in the in the ghettos, where all you have is Pentecostal churches on every single corner, and within those churches you have people like us who are searching deeply into the scriptures we come along some you know these words like 
election and predestination and justification and propitiation and we're like whoa 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 let me let me let me stop right there what, what do these terms mean so we do our studies we do our research we even google what the word means and okay and then like okay well how come i have never heard this so we go on youtube let me search you know a preacher who's t- who's talking about this and then one thing leads to another and ne- next thing you know boom we're in reformed theology and then I, we're like what's what what's going on how come i'm not learning this in church how come i have never heard of this i've been walking with the lord for five years and i haven't heard this you know yeah i heard a podcast earlier that uh, Somebody was explaining how, how he became into Reformed uh, Calvinist. He said, I was just reading the scriptures one day, and I found out that I was elect, that God chose me mm-hmm. before the before the foundation of the world. He went up to his leaders, and his leaders told him, wait a minute, you're getting involved in Calvinism. And the guy was like, what, what are you talking about? I'm just reading the word of God. Mm-hmm. I'm just confirming what the word of God says. God revealed to me that God chose me before the foundations of the world. And they told him, no, no, you can't get involved in that. That's Calvinism. So... It, this whole it's important to understand what's going on because some people can give election not even just Calvinists but election a bad a bad taste and that's just wrong yeah yeah and 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 especially with this series that we're going through what we're gonna try to do or attempt to do right is to draw each of these points from this Calvinist uh, I like the way that Spurgeon put it that that this is a, a, a strong doctrine of old but it has been nicknamed calvinist calvinism mm-hmm. so this these are things that have already been worked out in church history but with each of these points we're what we're going to try to do or attempt to do is bring these things to light as far as where where it is in church history and and, and as far as where it is in the bible and the scriptures because all these things are explicit it's not implied it's not you know, you're doing guesswork. No, some of these things, most of these are all written out right here plainly in scripture. And yeah. so what we're going to do is we're going to draw the conclusion from each of these. And also the the conclusion of the opposing view of where these even were, why these things were even brought up in the first place. So that we can have a better understanding of why these things are important. Now, our goal isn't to try to convert you to become a Calvinist. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a false... Um, idea yeah to from from our that's not our intention i mean even for myself i don't consider myself calvinist i consider myself reformed but i do agree with all the teachings of calvinism and so with this what we're trying to do is to shed light on something that is often ignored and misrepresented a lot in the Mm -hmm. church because the importance of these teachings is it's really for self-edification yeah it's not necessarily for you to be trying to guess who is elect and who is not and who is predestinated that's that's not our job mm-hmm. i mean it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing thing to understand i mean I, I can't fully grasp in my mind the way it really works you know i can't i can't but the scriptures that's what the scripture says you know what i mean Reverend Rudy uh, said, "That's a beautiful, beautiful thing about Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just gonna have to admit, I don't, I don't know how this works. It gives us that space to say, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, you may not know, but I do. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. I don't. Um, so yeah, man. So, um, but like Justin said, right now, um, these issues have been worked out in church history." Long, long before in the galaxy far, far away, we call the <laughs> we call the the, the third century, the third and fourth century. Um, these the um, these topics were brought up, and they were dealt with not only in the fourth century but all the way to the sixteenth century, in um, in the Protestant Reformation. So think about that. Third century, century, sixteenth century. I am not good at math, but those—that's a long time. That's hundreds of years that these things have been dealt with, and now from the sixteenth century all the way up to now to 2020, and it's still going on. See, ignorance of church history does like this, like the saying says, history repeats itself. Yep. And that's what we're doing right now. The modern mega church evangelical um, church movement is aligning on the opposing side that back in the day it was the the least um looked at view and it was even considered heresy yeah it was condemned by the church council it was condemned in there in the in the early in the early church 
but now that's the majority view today. So we as Protestant reform people actually holding to historical orthodox or orthodox orthodox Christian views. You know what I mean? Um, we're the, we were the majority um, since the early church, but now you know things have changed. Now the opposing view is the 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 majority view, and we are the minority view. Yeah. So Victor, uh, let's let's kick it off then. What is today? We're gonna cover the tea and the tulip. I forgot (laughs) (laughs) total depravity for those who don't know the tea and tulip. Yeah, total depravity. But uh, before before I begin, just want to encourage everybody to to get up on your church history game. Uh, I just finished this book called Church History 101, and it's the highlights of of the 20, 20 centuries and it's a small book you can get that Ligonier Ministries but I'm about to read to you a book that I got from the Banner Banner of Truth uh, you can go hit them up to get books too but we want we wanted you to know how this whole thing Calvinism Arminian w- w- what this all about and uh, I want to read to you a little something right here because we're going to get into total depravity today it says we must take our starting point in Holland in the year 1610 James Arminius, a Dutch professor, had just died and his teachings had been formulated into five main points of doctrine by his followers known as Arminians. Up to this point, the churches of Holland, in common with other major Protestant churches of Europe, had uh, subscribed to the Belgic and Heidelberg Confessions of Faith, which were both set squarely on Reformation teachings. The Arminians wanted to change this position. However, and they presented their five points in the form of a remonstrance or protest to the Dutch parliament. The five points of Armenians were, broadly speaking, as follows. And this is, I'm going to read to you just the first point of Armenianism. One, free will or human ability. This taught that man, although affected by the fall, was not totally incapable of choosing spiritual good and was able to exercise faith in God in order to receive the gospel and thus bring himself unto possession of salvation. Now, this first point that that we're we're talking about, just just a briefly overview of it, is talking about that man has the free will to choose God. Uh, We just said it right there thus bring himself into possession of salvation so this basically this point is basically saying that you have the ability to choose that you have the free will to choose god to choose righteousness to choose all spiritual good that's the armenian point to save yourself to save yourself basically Mm -hmm. and that already sounds like a huge burden to me i don't know about you guys but that, that sounds right away like a huge burden but now these five points of Armenians, the, uh, the followers of Calvin, formed up these five points of of, of, uh, of Calvinism, and the first one is well, the T and tulip because they formulated into a tulip just to, to so that they can get all, all the points, an all acronym the points, to make it an acronym to, yeah. to yeah to to learn to learn about them. First one is total depravity, and let me read this description. When Calvinists speak of total depravity, however. They do not mean that every man is as evil as he could possibly be, nor that man is unable to recognize the will of God, nor yet that he is unable to do any good towards his fellow man or even give outward allegiance to the worship of God. What they do mean is that when man fell in the Garden of Eden, he is in his totality. The whole personality of man has been affected by the fall and sin extends to the whole of the the, uh, faculties, the will, the understanding, the affections, and all else. We believe this to be infertibly taught by the word of God to which we now refer. So the, the, the point of total depravity is to contradict what the Armenians brought up. They said human, uh, humans have the ability to choose, they have free will, but the Calvinist view says, no, man is evil. I mean, you, you, we're going to look, look, look at this later on in Romans chapter 3, but no one seeks after God. No one is good. And so what Calvinists just brought up was the biblical teaching of this. Yeah, so no, notice how uh, the five points of Calvinism was meant to contradict a heresy. And, you know, a lot of people like to point out all the five points and, you know, it's not biblical and this and that, but actually the five points that i was trying to contradict that was unbiblical and so we see even in romans one where let me go to it real quick so total 
total depravity is basically that don't get it confused with utter depravity that we are just so evil that we're just these you know raving animals with no mercy yeah so uh, utter, mm. utterly depraved or uh, is is basically the concept that we are as wicked as can be we are depraved as mm. can be that every person is the most evilest thing that they can be and and that's not total depravity total depravity is that imago day as we are made in god's image we because of adam we have been so affected by the sin of adam that we have been total that we are totally depraved meaning every every um aspect of us has been tainted by sin Mm -hmm. not that we're we're at the full extent of being sinful and wicked but everything we touch everything we put our hands to every thought and idea is tainted by sin so that means that the totality of our fallen nature is corrupted by sin so in our minds in our speech in our heart every aspect of the human nature fallen human nature has been so tainted by sin that he is incapable of just of saving himself that's what it that's what it it comes down to he cannot save himself he cannot do enough good deeds to save himself because it has been tainted by his unrighteousness and so Romans 1 even says this, Romans 1 21 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So who is this talking about then? It's talking about mankind. It's not talking about a certain group of people. It's talking about people. People in their fallen state, in their falling nature are fools that in the verse 21 says became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened so now we see that the mind of man has has it has futile thinking and their their hearts are darkened so what do you do with someone like that how can someone like that possibly possess the ability within himself to come to christ and that's what we're dealing with right here. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. that, uh-huh. Oh, I was going to say, and then even further in Romans in chapter 3, as, as Victor mentioned earlier in verse 10, it goes on to say that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Not just some. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, yeah. and, and this is Paul. He, he's, he's bringing together um, these bits and pieces that were in Old Testament. And he's brought this conclusion forth in this letter in Romans saying that all of mankind no one is good no one will be found good only one would be found good and that's jesus christ so let's let's take this back then we're talking about church history and all this stuff where in church history then was this dealt with then because it seems like well you know like i said earlier the majority view is like well we're not that bad i mean how, how can you how can how can you say we're that evil and that bad that we're incapable of coming to Christ if people come to Christ all the time mm. how do we reconcile the two then how can how can we say you can't come to Christ on your own but then people come to Christ so let's go back to these two famous dudes named Augustine or Agu- Agu- Augustine, Augustine. Augustine. <laughs> that, that, that's like the little paisa kid Augustine 
in the in the trial of the century, uh, Augustine versus Pelagius. Yeah, so if we go back in our church history, let's go to the year 431 AD, which is the 5th century. There was... So, there was a... a I forgot what was his position, Pelagius. What was Pelagius' position? He... He was teaching in, in the churches. He was, a, he was a leader of some sort. And, and within mm-hmm. his area, his context, they were following his teachings. And so Pelagius, his views when regarding this, this topic here was that there is no real need for the spiritual enabling power of the Holy Spirit. That people are born without sin. And more roughly, he believes that with um, that we as a people need strong conception of self-control. And so with Pelagius, this view, if we bring it to its conclusion, right? Because he says there's no real need for spiritual enabling power of the Holy Spirit and that people are born without sin. And, and another idea that is brought from Pelagius is that man in his own ability is able to live a life without sin. And so when we draw this out, this view, which is Pelagianism, is that salvation is possible apart from the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, I, now you didn't hear that wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't know, this is the, the drawn out idea from Pelagian, is that there is a possibility to have salvation from God without the gospel. Because with this idea, it, it is, he brings this idea that as long as we do good and don't sin, then we have no need for the redemptive gospel, right? And so this idea obviously was, was, an, was, come, was brought, you know, back or not brought back, was, was retaliated against by Augustine because he was so convicted by his own. And I mean, you could go into that in your own about Augustine and his own um, walk and his own struggles, but because he was so convicted of his own sin, he was brought forth with the natural response that we have when we read the, when we read the scriptures, which is that, that Adam's sin had enormous consequences for man. In Adam, all have fallen and are incapable of saving acts that we as humanity need the Holy Spirit to be saved. And so Augustine now rivaled this, this, this thought that because of Adam, because Adam has sinned in the garden, his sin has affected all of humanity after Adam. And so that's why when you read in Romans and, 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 and other letters, it says that that we as, as humanity are in Adam until we are found in Christ, until by grace we have been brought over into Christ. And, you know, that's another topic, which is um, federal headship. Who, who is our head? Is it Adam or is it Christ? But bringing it back to this, um, to this debate, the debate back in 431 was Pelagius thought, which was that, um, that we are good, we are born without sin, that man is not totally depraved and Augustine's view, which is that we, we are born sinful. We are depraved and we need the working of the gospel in order for salvation. There is no other way, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the Pelagian view is that man has it in himself, uh, to be good enough. Okay. Um, but you may be asking yourself, Come on, guys. That's not really what I hold to. I mean, I understand that there's sin. I understand people are sinful. But still, God gave us that free will to come to him. But you must recognize, if you, and this is why it's important to study church history, that Pelagius held a high view of free will. That the fall of man, which is in the garden, Adam and Eve, the act of, of you know, um, biting the fruit, and it's called the, the effects of that was called original sin. Mm-hmm. It's, the original sin is not the initial biting of the fruit, but the effects that come from that. So because of original sin hasn't been so affected us that we are able to exercise freely 
without any influences of that or anything else to be able to choose Christ. And that's where the problem is right there. Because Jesus says himself, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So you tell me, is a slave free? Is he free? He is not free. The Bible makes it clear that we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to righteousness. The man of God, he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's what that's what a true believer is going to say. He's not going to, you know, emphasize. I have, I'm in Christ. I have free will. In a sense, we do get back that 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 choosing of righteousness and unrighteousness, and we have the ability to keep following Christ or not. But that's only after salvation. But before Christ, you are a slave to sin. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. And guess who sins? You, your brother, your mama, your daddy. Everybody sins. Your dog even sins. The little uh, neighbor grandma. Your grandma, your (laughs) five-year-old beautiful nephew, especially your kids. And some little sinners running around. Everybody sins. And thus, whoever sins is a slave to sin. It's not saying that, um, that right when you sin, you become a slave. No, it's we sin because we are slaves of sin. Yeah. So the the, the view is not, is not, um, how does it go? <laughs> it says we're not sinners because we sin. We yeah. sin because we're sinners. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, just referring back to the previous episode before this, the misconceptions, um, we do have free will, but our will is only limited to our nature. So just as, as you mentioned, you know, for us before Christ, our will is our free will is to choose that of our nature, which is um, being a slave to sin. So as a slave, I'm free to choose all of the above within my nature. And it's not until by grace I have been regenerated that now I am released from from the bondage of sin. And now I, I am able to freely choose that of Christ. My nature has been changed. And so, and so that, that's why this is very important because the conclusions, when you draw it out, you can see exactly where it comes. You can see, and, and, and I think in, in that book that you read earlier, it goes on to say that, that when you, when you have a, a error in, um, in, in these, in these doctrines, when there's an error in, in the doctrines, it brings an error in the remedy. So when when we have a wrong view from the beginning, it's going to lead us to a wrong view on how to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, it's because all of it was wrong from the very start. So if we continue in this view that we have this ability to choose God, the remedy is going to there, there really is no remedy for that, because then every person is going to be left in his own thinking. Why can I not choose God? If they come to that conclusion, but I mean, I would argue if they're coming to that conclusion, they have that ability because Christ is drawing them. Mm-hmm. But see, the natural man will not choose that conclusion. And we're that's, gonna, the, that's the yeah. point. The natural man does not want God. And we're going to come to 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 that in the eye and the irresistible yeah. grace. So we're, we're, we're going to come on that. But I just wanted to mention, look at the beauty that they take away from the gospel. Look at look at look at how such a huge burden, knowing knowing or, or not knowing whatever it is, such a huge burden that you put on people. Because here's the thing, I mean, we the pastor, you can't look at people as numbers. You can't look at them as as, as you know, uh, you know, as as building up this mega church. You can't look at it that way. You got to look at people as souls. These are people that you're preaching to. And if all you're preaching to is you have to choose, you have to come to God, you have to do this, you have to do that. Such a huge burden that you're putting on people. Like you said, Justin, how can I'm trying as hard as I could? Why can I not choose Christ and leave my sin? Why can't I do it? I love how R.C. Sproul puts it. He puts it like this. It's the core of human that's corrupt. 
that's making the whole human corrupt. Just like it, like an apple, if the core of the apple is rotten, then the whole fruit is rotten. The core of if you if you don't tell people that at your core that, that your that your your sinful nature your 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 you're a born sinner if you don't tell people these things like you said they're not going to be able to find the remedy they're not going to be able to find the cure and without telling people that that they're that they're depraved that they're totally depraved that that they're sinners you you you're not giving them the cure if i am good and if i have the ability to choose salvation then why do i need the gospel why do i need christ christ came in vain if i am able to choose for myself salvation but you're taking away the beauty of the gospel that this is the reason why christ came to redeem his people from their sins and that we will no longer be slaves to sin but like you said martin slaves to righteousness and man i just wanted to to express that the beauty that they're taking away from the gospel without expressing the total depravity of man mm-hmm. it's it's man because look when we when we look at the five points total depravity unconditional election Limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. All this has to do with the working of Christ. Yeah. It brings man down so low that man's only hope is in Christ. And Christ gets all the glory. All of it. When we say soli deo gloria, we really mean all glory to God alone. None of man. See, the problem is that man wants to hold on to a certain glory. He wants to hold on to a certain, yes, I did it. And that, I think, right there is the biggest stumbling block for people who have been brought up in these kind of teachings. That, no, you get nothing. <laughs> Nada. The, the the flesh inside of us is like Nacho Libre. He's like, don't you want a taste of the glory? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I want that sometimes, but no, it's, yeah. it's all glory to God. That's on, that's on the real. That's on the real. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's take it back to, to the garden, pues. You know, because I think we need to take it back there and see what really happened in order to see how man has been so corrupted. So let's take it back to the garden, okay? Or let's take let's, let's talk about the effects, right? And Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Mm. Okay? That's, I, mean, I mean, that's pretty simple to understand. Very right? clear, I think. Very, very clear, right? All sinned because of Adam, all right? That's basically that. That's just straight out. Death through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Mm. Okay, we have been so corrupted that now we die. That's really the effects of the original sin. That spiritual death, where they call it in the garden, we now physically die because of our sin. Right. So verse thirteen says, "For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law." Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over the whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So the, the law was necessary to point out our sin. Where there is no law, there is no sin. But now since the Mosaic covenant, there has been law given. And glory be to God that that covenant was, was finished, right? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For many. And the gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace of the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, for all who believe. For us, and I just had to say that in because you're going to say, oh, man, there you go, oh, man. But it it can't say everybody in the world because obviously everyone's not justified. So I just had to throw that in there. But anyways, whereas by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice one thing when you're reading this portion of Scripture, Romans 5, 512, all the way down to 21. It's lifting up Christ's work so much and putting man down so much that our only hope in salvation is Jesus Christ and he gets all the glory because through one man's trespass, sin entered the world and death through sin by his disobedience. But through the one man's obedience, the many were, were made righteous, that many were justified. So it's through the man, Jesus Christ, who gives eternal life to all who believe who are granted the gift of righteousness the imputed righteousness of christ is applied to someone's account when they have come and 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 they are drawn by the father to come into salvation and they are granted the free gift of eternal life it's all the working of christ and that's the one thing that we must understand if we're going to take anything from this episode tonight understand this that all the glory goes through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. You cannot do anything to attain it. You, can, you, you haven't done anything to attain it. Your only hope in salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. You cannot earn it. You cannot do it on your own. You must need the salvific work of Jesus Christ. And you know, just, just as you read, it goes on the, at the end of that portion that you read, that it is through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It is not of our own doing. It is not of um, because I had the strongest will to not sin throughout the whole entirety of my life. And that was what was being argued between Pelagius and Augustine. Mm-hmm. August, I mean, uh, Pelagius, his stance was that of works, that if you can keep yourself controlled without sin, you can obtain salvation in your own. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we just, I mean, just as you read, even in just that one portion, as there are other portions I can point that out, but even in just that one portion, it's already against Pelagius. And so um, in 431 AD, just so you guys are also aware, if you guys haven't known, the, the church council in Ephesus condemned Pelagius on this, this, this idea, this thesis he came up on. So, so let me let me say that again. <laughs> it was condemned. I don't know if you know what condemned means. He was marked off as a heretic. He was marked off as a heretic. But today we we see people that have their own thinking and their own ideas of salvation that fall in line with this. Semi-Pelagianism. There's semi-Pelagianism. There's Pelagianism. And then, of course, as we see in more recent um, church history um, between Armenian and Calvin, or at least the, the followers of, of such, is that they the Armenians follow in this same view of Pelagius. Let us not be ignorant of our church history mm-hmm. and fall into error again. <laughs> let, let us, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of, of doing this series is so that we could shed light on church history, shed light on scripture, and, 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 just, ver- and just really w- expound and share why these things are important. Not, not, they're not important just because the church um, con- um, has condemned the false view, but it's important because of the, the effects it has on a man when we believe in these things and when we follow these, these deceptive theories. It, it burdens the man and, and really just, and while it's trying to uplift him and say that he has all the power to choose God, and that just leaves God at the mercy of man. Exactly, exactly. And let me just read this real quick about the fall of man. This was written by Gerhardus Voss. Yes, I cannot pronounce that, dude. <laughs> He's a Dutch reform guy from the 1800s, and he wrote this about the fall. By falling away from something, this is Reform Dogmatics, Volume 2, Anthropology. Just throw it out there. He says, by falling away from something to which he was wholly disposed which constitutes his proper and highest destiny, man will be changed in the deepest depths of his being. A radical reversal will take place within him. What clings to us outwardly can be removed without making us different inwardly. 
On the other hand, what co-heirs with every part of our spiritual organism can, if it is withdrawn, only bring about a powerful revolution by which the organism itself becomes disorganized. The loss of original righteousness follows spiritual death because death in its essence is disorganized, a process of dissolution. From this, one can assess most clearly the Protestant and Roman Catholic conceptions concerning the capability of man to do spiritual good in his fallen state. According to us, that is a reform the Protestant, man is dead and therefore does not does no good towards God. According to Roman Catholics, he is weakened or ill, but nonetheless still always capable with his free will to move himself to do good. And, and it's funny how you bring up the the Roman Catholics. As we were talking before this episode, we started recording. Man, it, it's a it's a sad thing that even the Roman Catholics understand this idea better than most um, evangelical Christians today. The Roman Catholics at least have this view that men, humanity, is born with sin. They have original sin, except their their view. Yeah, the falls, is different. Yeah, their their view falls to the wayside when they come to baptism because that's the reason why they baptize um, their babies is to remove original sin. But baptism doesn't do that. <laughs> but that's where they fall to the wayside on the issue. But at least from the conception thought, they have it right in that area when it comes to original sin. But even, um, but yeah, so these things were were talked about and and thought out and. And, and fought over before John Calvin. Mm-hmm. And I, I would even point out one of the first people to even talk about this this type of idea of total depravity would be uh, King David. Mm-hmm. Yep. In Psalms 51, five, he goes on to, po- to point out, he goes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here in the Psalm, I mean, this is, this is the, the Psalm of, of uh, a true repentant heart but here he points out that he understands the, the this this thinking that that this action wasn't alone that that he was sinful from birth and in fact his parent he was conceived in sin not that his 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 parents were not married and it was out of wedlock <laughs> but because they were sinful people and because of that, they, they were, it was only um, natural to bring forth another sinful person. But it's not until the atoning work of Christ that we are saved from sin. And so that, that's where, man, this whole, this whole doctrine, this, this teaching here, it only does that. It uplifts Christ. And, and if anything, I would say it brings back, well, one of the, the books I, I've read um, previously was um, The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And it talks about the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God, because we forget, we, we tend to forget the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and even just the, the, what the Holy Spirit does. And this is one of the things here. If, if we're able to choose God on our own, why do we need a Holy Spirit? Why do we need a helper? Why do we need to be born again, which is the work of the Holy Spirit? Exactly. So this only then just confirms and it only helps us place a better, more, um, not blind, but more clear trust in our Savior. Exactly. And if if you're emphasizing free will, if you're emphasizing, well, man is not that bad. He's only weakened or ill ill he's not that totally completely corrupted you're more in line with the roman catholic views and historical heretics and you are with biblical views that's just that's just what it is so let me ask you guys this what would you not not ask you guys this but more like this we'll say when you go out evangelizing and you ask a person uh what what why would you say that you would go to heaven and everybody would come up with the same answer (laughs) it's because i went to church it's because i'm a good i did a work i'm a good person person. i didn't kill anybody (laughs) i didn't kill i'm not as bad as this person over here but we gotta not 
we gotta not look into all of our of our account of why we're getting into heaven, comparing it to other people. I mean, this is what this whole doctrine is about too, because I hear that saying a lot. I am who God says I am. Well, God says you're a sinner. God says that you're you no, know, there's no one good, not even one. Referring back to Romans chapter three, and then some people would even would even go us to say, well, with that right, that 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 I've done good. I've I've done this, I've done that, but we're not saying here with this doctrine that, you know, just to to reflect back that we're not we're not saying that man is totally incapable of doing any good. Yeah, that's another misconception because we are able to perform good deeds, but these deeds do not save us. They're not saving good. Mm -hmm. Calvin would call this uh, we were talking about earlier as civic righteousness. Mm. In other words. You know, bringing someone groceries or, or you know, d- doing a good deed to one another. Yeah, p- p- humans, people, they are capable of doing this. But when it, it goes back to God, the, the authority, the standard is God. And so there's there's two aspects right here. Uh, I was reading a commentary and he's pointing out this, that there's two aspects to, to good deeds. One is the outward action. You know, doing something good, uh, uh, getting groceries for your neighbor, helping your neighbor out, doing this, doing that. But that, that's one aspect of it. But we know that with this doctrine, no one does any good works to earn salvation. Mm-hmm. You cannot earn salvation through this. I feel like with, uh, with the Armenian side and all that, you're, you're, you're basically telling people you can earn your salvation by doing good works. But total depravity is saying that that you know when it comes to a God's standard one is the outward action is two is the inward motivation where is the intent of the heart and I wrote this down that says for people to do good in God's sight they not only have to do something that externally conforms to his law but they also must be motivated in that action by a heart that is trying to please God a heart that loves him completely with the whole mind and what we're saying with, with total depravity is no one does that no one is thinking about, well, I'm going to do this to the glory of God. I'm going to do, uh, do, do this certain good deed uh, uh, because I want to I want to be obedient to God. I want to serve him. Nobody's before doing this salvation. on their own before salvation. Before mm-hmm. salvation. Nobody's doing this. On, yeah, making this clear before salvation. Nobody, nobody is thinking of God. And that's why it's really important for, for you know, for any preacher who's listening to this and you're, you're getting into Reformed theology or Calvinist. That's why it's very important for you to, to preach the word of God. Because as Romans t- tells us that, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So people have to hear the word of God. But even with that, even when we're converted, the word of God, or not the word of God, the, the commentary that I was reading says, says, if that is the standard of a good deed, then even after our conversion, there's a pound of flesh in everything we do. We're still, we're still not complete, complete. We're still tainted by sin in some way. And so what I'm trying to get at this with that is that you have to focus on Jesus Christ. It is only by his finished work, not our ability, not not our free will that gets us into heaven. But it's through the work of Christ alone. Mm-hmm. If I may, um, as, as we begin to, to, to wrap this this portion here, I would like to read from Ephesians 2, uh, one of my favorite portions. Um, and it says, and you were dead in your trespass, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I mean, here, uh, Paul's already pointing out that all of mankind were children of wrath by nature. <laughs> it, meaning that it was natural for sin to be intertwined in a man's life. But here, this is, this is the, the, the favorite uh, uh, word that, that we have as, as children of God. Or the favorite little, little phrase here is, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us 
with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, with with this, it, it really, like, I mean, <laughs> we're going to see this in every one of these points, but it really does remove an, an unnecessary burden over a Christian's life. The burden of trying to save themselves, trying to save people, the burden of trying to keep themselves, the burden of trying to mustering up, trying to muster faith up. And, and you know, and we're going to see this. It's, it's an unnecessary burden that is that is placed over a person from false doctrine, from from ignorance of church history. Um, these things were dealt with for many years by greater minds than ours. Yeah. Uh, let us not be ignorant of that stuff. All things are yours in Christ. Meaning, I mean, we're, man, we're we're, I mean, we're in such a good time of of the church of the church, and you know, history-wise, we have all these issues that have been dealt with from the time of the apostles to the early church, all the centuries that passed by up up until now. We have all their work, all yep. their writings. We can look back. We can Google them. We can read books. We can watch sermons. We can watch videos, and mm. it's all there for us to grasp. And so there's there's absolutely no reason why um, a faithful pastor should not be able to get a hold of church history to see where these things have been dealt with already. And that that's the job of a, of a faithful minister is to you know accurately you know exegete the Word of God and when certain points come up that may be tough we can look back in church history and see how it was dealt with let us not skip over these things yeah i mean there's a man there's a, we we as 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 christians man we have a long history of 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 the church and it's 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 dope man to be able to look mm-hmm. back at the work and it's there for us they did the tough they did the tough work for us you know what i mean all we gotta do is just google it or read some books or something like that but do not lack in in the study of scripture and see how all these things come together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to, uh, before we wrap up, I just want to give encouragement to to anybody who's listening right now that, like I said, you you probably been put on Reformed theology, you're you're getting to Calvinism and, and you probably have questions. If If you're someone who's listening right now who has a teaching role, uh, a role that you're behind the pulpit and you're constantly teaching, you're just getting into these things. I, I want to en- encourage you right now. First off, study the Word of God. Know the church history. Get books. Get commentaries. Because if you were like me, everything is new to you right now. And you're just getting to learn everything. But as one who has a teaching role, as who has, who has a pastoral role, you're obligated to to tell the truth to these people and not put such a huge burden on them that they would never be able to carry. And I'm speaking as someone who was who ha- who did have a teaching role, who who was in a pastoral position, just being being up there and, and preaching to the congregation. At first, honestly, I, I was I was preaching works, not knowing, not knowing. But then when I got into Reformed theology and started studying scripture, started getting all these commentaries, I had no other choice but to tell the truth. And I'm reminded of the scripture in, in John chapter one, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what I want to go there with that is that because People were given such a huge burden of you have to follow this law, you have to follow this. But once Jesus came, grace was extended. But truth was given. 
tr- grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And and sometimes when you get to, to, to topics like this or when you get to verses like, how am I going to preach it out of Ephesians 1? I don't want people to look at me in a certain way. Where it's not about what people think. It's not about what people say. It's about how you're living honorably towards God in your teaching role or your pastoral role or whatever it is. Make sure to preach grace and truth. Of course, with this with this topic right here, total depravity, we can't people people where they're coming in with their their studies or 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 coming into the church and you have that that preaching role, you you can't tell them that you're good. Just choose Christ. You're good. Just come to church and and, and putting all these works. Sometimes you gotta tell them the truth. No, you're a sinner. And the good news is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners like me and you. And I got to encourage you with this. Don't complicate the gospel. Mm-hmm. Don't complicate it. How am I going to preach this? How am I going to do Preach it. When you come to verses like that, about told you have you have to. If you're, if you're going verse by verse and you come to Romans chapter three, hey, you got to preach that, that you're, no one is good, not even one. Because that's biblical right there. But I want to encourage you, the te- the teacher, the the pastor, do not be afraid, because you're doing everything towards God, not to please men, but everything towards God. But don't overcomplicate the gospel. And afterwards, then there, then comes discipleship. That's a whole different story. But when you're teaching or, or, you're, or you're preaching, don't be afraid to preach what the Bible teaches. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is this is what it's all about is being faithful to the scriptures and scriptures clearly say that the issue with man is his heart. The heart is the problem, as Jeremiah says, I think it's Jeremiah, right? When he says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Mm-hmm. The heart is the main problem of all this. You know, we are we're all familiar with John chapter three. You must be born again. Now, we need to study that and what, what that really actually means. Because unless we are born again, we're incapable of entering eternal life. And that is the biggest fear that I have for those, you know, who are who reject Christ. You will go to hell. You know what I mean? That's just the reality of it. And I don't wish for anyone to perish like that. So we must come to these things and understand what they mean. Because if we're going to be faithful ministers, we must preach the hard truths of the Bible. And these are the hard truths. You know, so as we're talking about these kind of things, take considerations, one's eternal state. If you you may disagree, whatever, but think about the, 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 the effects of not preaching these kind of things. They're gonna, they're gonna think that they're good with God, and that God is not, you know, commanding them to repent and to trust in Him. If you're telling man that they're good, then they're good. There's no need of Christ, and that is very dangerous right there. Why do we need Christ? Because we're sinners, born dead in our sins. It's only through Christ who sets us free and gives us eternal life. And I think with the wrong view of this uh, topic, it, it gives us a deceptive thought that if we know somebody in our life that may be good, you know, quote unquote good, they may not believe in Christ, but they're not a bad person. They, you know, they're, they're good, whether it be an older person in our family that does well, whatever. This type of thinking, not the, the, the opposing thought, I'm saying that 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 no one is good it, it gives us this deceptive thought that that i don't need to share the gospel to this person because they're okay and even then actually not even then but with this doctrine with this study of total depravity it should only compel the believer to want to share the gospel with all people why because all people are dead in their sins. All people are are not good. No one is good. So even if I meet a, a, a nice granny at the, the grocery store that smiles and waves at me all the time, 
you know, they may not trust in Christ, but you know what? They're very nice to me all the time. This now compels me to want to share the gospel with her. Why? Because no one is good. All of us are on the same level. All of us are in the same playing field. So now I have a reason to share the gospel with all people, not just people in prisons, not just people in the ghettos, not just people that we may deem or, or communities may, may outcast as, as people that are quote unquote bad. Now we're, now we should be compelled to want to share it with all people. And so that's where the motivation comes. This is where the, the necessary application of total depravity falls to the believer. There you go. There you go. That's where the application is made. My bad. You just blew my mind. Right? Like I knew this, but, but <laughs> when I heard you say, I was like, dang, that, that just blew my mind because there's, there's, a, there's a sense of urgency. And just yeah. like you pointed out, that grandma that's waving, that, that's smiling all the time, even she, her heart is not in the right place. Yeah. In regards to salvation. And just, man, I don't know, just the way that you brought up and I'm like, mind blown. I'm like, man, Dang. but we're Calvinists. We don't evangelize, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, that's Come a joke on. for those of you who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So go ahead and hit us up, reformrasa.gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or rebukes, reformrasa.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Go ahead and hit that five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you would ever be so kind to drop a comment right there, share the episode, comment, do all that fun stuff. We would greatly appreciate if you interact with us, man. Like I said, last episode in the Misconceptions Calvinism, we had a really good response. Keep it coming. Keep sharing your stories. Man, if you are one of those who have gone through that transition of being in a church where, you know, Reformed theology isn't taught, but then you come in to Reformed theology and, you know, either you've come out and now you're in a solid church or whatever it is, or you're currently through that process, go ahead and hit us up. Shoot us a voicemail, shoot us an email, a DM, whatever it is. We would love to hear your story. And if possible, we would love to connect you with the church, you know, around you. If we can, or even if you have a story different than ours, maybe you were put onto Reformed theology, and by the grace of God, you were able to share a disciple within your church, and now your church is is now following things biblically. I mean, wherever Mm -hmm. your story lands within within what we're talking about in this series, leave us a voicemail. We want to share your story, whatever it may be, and play it on these episodes to further edify and encourage the body. Amen. That's what it's all about. And so, gracias for tuning in. This is Reform Rasa. We do this to glorify God through the edification of the saints. Grow as we grow. Arato vatos. Laters. Peace. Open and seen, God created everything in perfection, incredibly heavenly in this essence and effervescence. Then he made man to image the Trinitarian God. Then Genesis 3, we fell in sin that carried us off, and now God and man are separated. Everything created is devastated, awaiting an eager expectation. But it's so sad that most cats don't understand that we didn't just sin, but we fell into total depravity. We fell in this hard, rebelled against God. How did we get ourselves in this prison cell? Hell is in our hearts, regardless, men. Our thoughts within that we're harboring are full of lawlessness The fall of men brought us to the bondage of sin Men lack understanding the impact that sin had On us at the fall, we admit that it's bad Man, give me your break like Kit Kat It's much deeper than that We are in fact in chains Enslaved to a wicked way Sick and depraved Sin is displayed in infinite ways It is ingrained in the human heart Now we got a ruined heart Who would have thought you would be caught Exchanging and trading the truth of God For a lie to glorify creation over the Creator, no escaping, we don't even know we need a savior We're in a broken humanity, we have chosen vanity Over happily loving God, this is total depravity For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one No one understands, no one seeks for God All have turned aside, together they have become worthless No one does good not even one.
With children depraved, every day we can feel the decay It's ill what we crave, our will is enslaved to our venomous ways It was enslaved to our evil nature when we said see you later to the creator We immediately needed a mediator, we're not even able to desire God And trying hard to be good won't even get us to dialogue with the sovereign lord We're rotten to the core, total inability, our will was free but not anymore We can't choose anything pertaining to salvation without regeneration Cause we're depraved men, I'm a novice But John 6, 65, it's hardest No one could come to Jesus unless it's granted by the Father So without the Spirit's intervention We're completely unable to want God because of what sin did Without God's initiation of propitiation There's no hope in this tragedy of total depravity What is man that he should be clean? And what is he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he puts no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more hateful and filthy is man who drinks iniquity like water. We're dead in sin, but we don't understand the effects of sin. People profess that men choose God in their decadence. But that's garbage, our hearts have been darkened We are in bondage to sin and Satan Regeneration is penetration to the sinful nature God's initiation of deliverance Giving us the ability to repent and believe the gospel Cause we're too depraved to repent Don't forget we are slaves to our sin Understand it is granted Repentance is gifted And when we believe then our sentence is lifted Our iniquity led to this total inability Infertility to only bear fruit for the enemy And God is mad but we don't have to see God God in his wrath, cause Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. I'm overly amazed how he bestowed to me his grace. I know that Jesus saved those that are totally depraved. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And it